Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And guess what? This is the first time you're going to hear this episode, but this will be the second time Steve and I are recording it. So Steve, wait, did we, did we rehearse this episode? <laughs> so yesterday, we're all getting out ahead of the curve and shit, and we're going to record on a Saturday. And it was great. It was the funniest episode we've ever done. The most informative episode we've ever done. Honestly, the most uh, confessional episode. Like, we bared our souls. And you're never going to hear any of it because some Southwest Michigan knucklehead ran into a light pole and killed all the power to Steve's neighborhood. So as a theater professional, Steve, here's my question for you. When you are extemporaneous, or I would say we verge on improv, not that I will claim any ownership over that uh, uh, style of theater, if you rehearse it, does that matter? If there's no script? <laughs> Well, so, like, this episode is, a, and this is why I ask, because this episode is a great example of, of, of my concern here. We're going to talk about restaurants near me closing. We're going to talk about uh, Marion, Kansas, where there was a, uh, a actually now international incident of a First Amendment violation by their police force. We're going to talk about a lady who got Vibrio. We're going to talk about these things. But somehow, and I do not recall how, we ended up inventing a restaurant called Just Fries. And I don't know how we got there. So yes, the Just Fries portion of it is the thing that I would like us to try to recreate. But how do we recreate the thing that got us there? Which I think is what you were talking about. Like making a result natural without really making the, 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 the process itself natural. So I don't know. While we're not, ladies and gentlemen, going to try to recreate word for word the um, previous episode, there is a chunk where I talk actually pretty darn eloquently about the economy, and I'm going to, I did keep that part, and I'm going to plug it in here somewhere. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants, and he took me aside and he said, Randall, you can be really good at this. And you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Um, uh, so, for some reason, I wasn't recording until nah. just now. <laughs> oh, We're goodness. so good at this. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's a space here, there was recording, and then for so, it stopped somehow, and now I'm recording again. So, um, long and short of it, ladies and gentlemen, is Stephen lost power yesterday, got power back two hours later, and we're gonna try to recreate some of the magic. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't, did you keep what we recorded yesterday, Ben? I did, yeah. Okay, so maybe you can re release a special episode of Garfield without Garfield. <laughs> uh, for anyone that wants to listen to just your side of the conversation yesterday. Right, right. Uh, what I may do is take all the stuff that I just recorded and also do the same thing with it. Yeah. If you were not recording the beginning part there. Yeah, gosh. I'm, I'm, I see my red bars and everything's working now, so. <laughs> all right, so let's start at the beginning of yesterday's show as well with yes. these restaurants that just closed in uh, northwest Chicago, which is not too far from me. 
And I believe I prefaced it this way, Steve, that you're aware and I'm aware and everybody who works in the industry is aware that it's not easy. This is not an easy industry. Quote, margins are tight. Uh, we'll be talking about tipping later on as well, which is a contentious issue. Food cost has gone up. Consumers mm -hmm. don't necessarily want to pay more right now. Like, there's a lot of things going on that make it difficult to run a successful restaurant for anything more than about two or three years, right? However, you can do everything right and still have to close, right? So yes. This is from Block Club Chicago, which is the, the micro, like, hyper-focused uh, journalism that happens here in Chicago. Written by Ariel Parrea Aureli, Edison Parks, The Cura, Kayonda, and Giordano's Close After Owner Sells Buildings. So this, again, this is not far from me. I know where this is. These restaurants, uh, The Cura and Kayonda, have been owned by the same family for the last 20 years. Giordano's is a franchise. And there's also a little breakfast place right there as well. Uh, and they've all been in this same building for the last 20 years. Somehow they've all managed to be successful. They've all managed to become staples of that area. And uh, the building owner is just like, meh, sold the building, and now they're all closed. Like, yeah. Like that. And um, I think you're absolutely right by prefacing this, and I don't know how much for this we got into the first time around, but um, in terms of you're doing everything right and just something absolutely beyond your control yeah. comes in, and regardless of your wishes or what you would you know, uh, rather do, uh, you just you have no option but to pull up stakes and move or or shutter completely. And we don't know yet whether, I mean, there's enough Giordano's around that it that yeah. that's not a like a huge loss, and and uh, they could possibly end up somewhere else. But there are others of them anyway. But we don't know if anyone else is planning on um, moving or um, to to a new location or if they're just done. Well, and it's like the way you always talk about McDonald's, right? Which is McDonald's is not in the business of selling burgers and fries. McDonald's is a uh, a land-owning company, right? They're yes. a real estate magnate. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to say this to you. If you are planning on opening a restaurant, boy, really the first thing you should consider is figuring out a way to buy your building. Buy the building you want to be in. Because right off the bat, here is a completely uncontrollable fear, which is very real. And it could be very sudden that you could just get rid of. You could take that off your plate. You could just be like, guess what? Nobody's going to sell this building out from under me and kick me the fuck out, even though I've been successful for 20 years. Employing people, raising your kids with this business, like all of this stuff. That's one of the things that I'm a little bit ashamed of the reporting on this. They're not talking about the employees at all. Like, you've got four restaurants and a Giordano's. I've never seen a slow Giordano's, yeah. right? They're all busy all the time. We're talking easy between 100 and 150 employees at these four restaurants, right? Fucking gone. They are all out of a job now. Every one of them. And the Edison Park is not a huge neighborhood. It's not a huge area of Chicago. Do I suspect that they all live right there? I don't know. But we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 people are now just out of a job because the owner sold the building and everything is just, they're just like, fuck you, we're out. That's the part that bothers me. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't actually look at the pictures and stuff of this yesterday. Um, that uh, doesn't look like that old of a building. That area, so Edison Park is one of these areas of Chicago that was its own neighborhood and got sort of absorbed by Chicago as Chicago grew further and further out. And so I don't know a ton about what the original neighborhood was. Edison Park reminds me a bit of like these smaller 
but nicer Michigan towns, right? Like you're maybe not quite Traverse City as far as size goes, but like a Ludington, like a Frankfurt, right? Like these kind of smaller towns that have a really well-kept-up, nice main street, like a main drag through their town. That's what this looks like to me. And you're right, whether or not it's an old building, it's definitely been taken care of. Yeah. So it would be a shame if it was coming down. Like, we talked about this the last time we recorded about this. If it's coming down for a parking garage, if it's coming down for condos, that's a that's a bad look. Yeah, so I don't understand this um, a bit. I just, like, uh, I can't make sense of what exactly they're saying. So I guess I'll start up here. On Tuesday, Giordano's spokesperson posted a statement to social media on the pizza's Locations closure or pizza locations closure, citing real estate changes in the building uh, that forced the restaurant to lose its lease. They did not indicate the building was sold, though it's been on the market since last September, according to its sales listing. Uh, Lexi Lou Breakfast Cafe, which is also in the building, also appears to have closed and was part of the sale, according to the listing. Uh, so, uh, so that means that cafe. Every, everything that was in the cafe or whatever, they were selling the restaurant space with the building, right? Like That's what that sounds like to me, yeah. Okay. Um, Alderman uh, Napolitano said the family had been in negotiations with the business owner to uh, take over the building for over a month, and the sale was recently officially completed. Does that mean that he's the one that bought it? I don't know. Completed doesn't mean that they got the building. It just means that the negotiations or that the sale was completed. So okay. I don't I don't know. Like there's a new law that's trying to go into effect in uh, is it Minnesota? Because what's happening now, not to make this a real estate podcast, but to what's happening now is you have uh, cap future capital future venture capitalists, venture capitalists who are in these big consolidations buying residential real estate and turning them into rentals because that's what they want. They don't want to sell a property. They want it to be a subscription service. That's what an apartment building is. And there's a new law that's been proposed. I want to say it's in Minnesota to just say, look, if you're buying a house, you have to be a fucking person. You can't be a company. And if that is the case, if that's what's going on here, if this family was outbid by some sort of a conglomerate that can just throw a shitload of money down and lose money year over year until they get their stuff together, then that's different than if they sold it to, you know, these people who are like, we'll just stay here and still have our restaurant. Yeah. Okay, so more of this. This is the part that I can't make sense of. Um, so it says the sale was officially completed. It was, it was a negotiation, quote, it was a negotiation that from what we were told was a long-term portion of that contract so there is a business that is already set to go into that location once they do some of their build out napolitano said and that could be anything i mean really if if what so let, the the place was put on the market in september if the original like if somebody said okay we're gonna buy this building and we're putting in for permits right now to make it into a parking garage to make it into condos or whatever that could be what he's talking about. That that's what the build out is, because completely demolishing something and and building a new thing there could be considered a build out. Um, is it also possible? And how? Um, and because I, I don't know if you explicitly said this today yet, but it's like there doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be like there's a lot of hard feelings or any sort of like um, scintillating anything, right? in any of this it's just this is what happened you know etc it happens etc but if if the cafe the breakfast cafe was part of the deal and um what were we talking about yesterday where you said it was it was alderman right with the um 
that uh, it was six corners where, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, this this thing is moving so slowly, this development, and then the new alderman gets in, halts, you know, or slows things down to a snail's pace until all those contracts expire, and then lets his own guys, um, his own buddies, um, bid and and get the contracts for whatever it is they're going to do. Yeah, at Six Corners, like Portage Park area, that's what happened. So uh, Alderman Garbage Fire ran on this. Um, that's what I call him. I love I like it. That guy. I love the name. He came to my house one time. I saw him on my front door camera. I did not answer the door uh, because I don't want to be uh, arrested. Um, he ran on this campaign of, oh, nothing's getting done with this giant eyesore, which was the construction area that was at Six Corners. And then once he got into office, he did. He intentionally dragged his feet. And he, I'm like, this has been confirmed. Like, this dude's, this, his cell phone records were seized. And there's all kind of other stuff, too. He's racist and sexist and all this other kind of stuff that they got from the cell phone records. But he did slow that project down until such a time, like you just said, the contracts expired. And he was able to, in a cronyist sense, get his people in to do the work. And the work is going on now. But it's like four years behind where it should be because yeah. he did that on purpose. You had brought up the last time we talked about this. If they are going to put in either offices, they're going to build a new building and they're going to put offices in or they're going to put apartments or whatever. Would the ground level still be restaurants? Yes. And I mean, that's what I would do. It would be retail space. It would be restaurants, something like that. There's nothing to say that the the goodwill that you're seeing in these social media posts um, isn't because these restaurants know they're going back in once it's been rebuilt out. That may be the case. I don't know the answer to that. And if I was that business owner, like if I owned Keonda and that Giordano's and that um, Irish pub, I wouldn't say these guys are just putting up apartments above us and then we're going to reopen for a number of reasons. One of which would be there's no way to know what that timeline is. There is absolutely no way to know. And I wouldn't want to give folks false hope because, like, no joke, they're having to fire all their staff. Like, everybody's just gone. Right. Yeah. And so I wouldn't want to be like, today, next year, we're reopening and give people any sort of hope because that shit just takes a long time. Yeah. And, well, so here's the, the question I was kind of getting at. So if they're saying there's a business – uh, that is already set to go into that location once they do some of their build-out. If that business was a restaurant and they are like, look, we don't want the competition from these three other places, we're taking over all of their space for our build-out, you've got to kick them out. Um, That'd be huge. That would be a big deal, right? It would be a big deal, and it would be an enormous restaurant. Like, you could, in that space, put an entire uh, Cheesecake Factory. Like, that's a huge <laughs> restaurant space. So unless what you're doing is putting in like a catering operation, banquet hall, like dining facility for uh, weddings and shit like that. But then it also has a bar and it also has a retail restaurant. I don't know what you would put in there that would need to be that fucking big. It's or a music venue, but I don't know how that gets coded, right? Like, I don't know how you have to get permits and such like that. And if it was, I don't, uh, I can't imagine that it's acoustically great, though just looking at this building, I don't know how you would do it for any sort of performance venue, right. even if it is, I also can't tell how deep the building is from this photo, but uh, you've got the pub, you've got, and then the, I imagine Giordano's ran the entire length of that side, and Lexi Lou seems to have been the smallest. Yeah. Um, and then I don't even see the, uh, in this picture, the the other place. Oh yeah, it's, it, no, is that it? Now, the other thing is, what if it's a hotel? What if they're building a hotel there and oh, they're yeah. keeping the breakfast place 
And they're keeping like all of the Giordano shit and all of the Kayonda and all of the Irish pub stuff because on the fifth floor is going to be their their restaurant, right? I don't know. I, I, it, I love Block Club. I support Block Club financially so that they send me emails every day with little news like this. Um, I feel like that kind of sale and permit requirement is this that's that's public record that could have been in this article for not just a quote from Napolitano saying there is a business set to go into that location but tell us what that business is right what if they're building a target there I don't know yeah oh yeah that's that, that uh, that's a possibility and that's the sort of thing that we should be able to find out fairly easily we being journalists not me not because I couldn't but because I'm lazy yeah that's not what I wanted to do. I was actually just Googling this address to, uh, um, okay. Now I, I am up there a lot. I'm in that area a lot. And so as soon as construction starts, they will be putting up signs that are like future home of right. It's fucking bowling alley or whatever. So right. I'll be able to report back on this at some point, but when like before, long before you start construction and I want to say terms of sale kind of stuff, who it is has to be public record in Illinois. Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, so it soon, sooner rather than later, that knowledge should be accessible. Um, yeah. If if not uh, um, readily, I mean, you know, if, if not advertised. Um, and now, is that area lousy with restaurants? Yeah, kinda. Like, there's a steak place. There's those four that we just talked about. There's a barbecue place. There's this Italian deli right there. Like, there's another. I don't know how this works out, but there's a Giordano's on that corner. And then like a block and a half away, there's a place called Moretti's, which makes fucking amazing pizza, by the way. But it's an old school Italian place, like the red leather booths and the whole deal. That area is fairly restaurant heavy. And so can it stand to lose four? Maybe. But even in this article, they mention the restaurants in that area are all doing fine, right? It's not like yeah. traffic has gone down because there are so many. It's sort of a draw to that area that there are so many restaurants. And we talked about this when we recorded yesterday. I'll go up there to go to Tony's because I want to get a fucking sandwich and I want to get some cool Italian products of some sort, right? And then I will do other stuff in that neighborhood. Those restaurants and that grocery store and the coffee that's up there, those are all draws to that area. And it's a shame to see somebody come in and wipe out four of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on it and see yeah. um, see what's coming in there because it is interesting. And we, oh, something you mentioned yesterday, I don't know if we touched on yet today, there is a, a metro stop very close. Yeah, yeah. Metro station a block away. Um, so, it, like, it is a it is a good location. Um, in terms of the restaurants, like you're saying, even the article re- refers to it as re- Restaurant Row. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and a, another just little... Um, uh thing of note uh, possibly is that what was it is it the irish pub their other location yeah a location in holland michigan is still open yeah <laughs> uh so maybe i mean if the original people if the uh i don't know which was first but if like the people that started it started it in chicago and then is like you know what we can let this one run on its own we're moving to holland right um, they move over there so maybe this is like a, you know what best case scenario for us um, although, I mean, when that happens, you don't get any money for it, right? It's not like you sold the restaurant. It's just, it's done. I don't know. So that's got to be a terms of lease thing. Yeah, whether There's, or not that's, they get bought That's out. written in the lease. Yeah, that's written in the lease. Now, it does say at the very top of that article that, quote, lost their lease, which to me indicates that this was still mid-lease term, 
Yeah. And so whatever that is, there has to be some sort of financial recompense there, right? Because a restaurant's got bills, and a restaurant's got bills that don't get paid forward. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if if you're except for a lease so if you've paid for a year and they cut you off after four months you better see that other eight months of money back right and i imagine that there is some sort of a buyout because as a restaurant you can be like look i've written my budget for this year i know what i'm going to be bringing in i need to get some of that money back somehow because i've got bills that need to get paid that now i don't have any income coming in the door and part of my lease is that you've guaranteed me that I can operate my restaurant in this space, be it I've got running water, we've got sanitation, we've got electricity and all this kind of stuff, and that the building will exist, right? Like, there has to be something. Are they making a huge amount? Probably not, but there has to be something. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think, like you were mentioning, I don't think the social media posts would be quite so nice. Right, right. It would be more like, do you believe these motherfuckers? And then, yeah, or other uh, kitchen words. If they aren't getting money, it at least... Uh, has to all be above board legally otherwise they'd be causing a stink however i will say you're not somebody's tenant for 20 years on accident yeah so i bet that relationship is pretty good and so while this seems very sudden to us there's a good chance it's not sudden to them right to the owners and who knows i don't know i don't know any of the employees of any of these places maybe everybody on the inside has known about this since september and they were just waiting to get information about like okay sorry now we've got three more weeks and they've done it the right way, as opposed to like Holman and Finch that were like, oh, hey, after Wednesday's lunch service, turn the lights off. We're fleeing to Atlanta. Yeah. You know, OK, so we didn't touch on this yesterday. And I was going to ask, didn't we didn't you send me something uh, that where someone else was talking about that? Yes. So there is a podcast that I listen to. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go way back uh, 10 episodes ago, we talked about a restaurant called Holman and Finch, which is a burger place in Atlanta, Georgia, that also has another related restaurant. And then they also had a restaurant called Holman and Finch in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And if you all recall, it closed... In a way that was very strange, because it closed after a full lunch service on a Wednesday. It was like one in the afternoon, and they were like, the owners were like, fuck it, close the doors, we're out. And no part of it made any sense to me. No no part of it sounded like, okay, this is, this is how a place should operate, right? Right. I am trying to find the podcast that I listened to about it, and I cannot find it. There's a guy, it's something, something, foodie guy, something in Asheville and I cannot find it because I listened to it and then I got rid of it (laughs) (laughs) but he's he's a if I remember correctly a journalist in um, Asheville North Carolina and he had he had a number of things to say about how that restaurant was run while it was run and he was not surprised although he didn't have any information necessarily he was not surprised that they pulled up stakes in the middle of the week and didn't tell anybody in advance like the fact that they did that in a real shady way was not surprising to this fellow at all yeah and and completely different circumstances and much more sudden than this but uh just another example of hey things happen um yeah I'm looking at Street View here, Ben. I'm wondering because there is like it's a. Uh, do we count the ground floor when we're talking flats? One, two, three. It's at least a. Well, it's a department building because it's more than just a three flat. It's like two three flats with a, um, little thing in between that's behind that building that that is kind of attached that might be part yeah. of that that sale as well. 
Um, and then the, uh, what is it, Kekonda? Uh, Keonda. Keonda. They, that's the corner. Yeah. Um, and that, though connected to the other building, I thought it was just the, 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 the Kura and Giordano's, that portion looks a lot newer than uh, Keonda. But if that's all one building, I'm guessing it's going to get knocked down. Yeah. Well, it looks like someone bought the block. Yeah. So the the podcast I was referring to earlier is Stu Helm Food Fan, and it's episode 109, MREs and Restaurant Closures, if anybody wants to check that out. It's him talking about a bunch of other stuff and also uh, Holman and Finch closing. We have yet to do our MRE that's true. Episode. <laughs> I was going to be camping with my father and brother in the uh, Grand Canyon this summer, but then the National Park District or the National Park Service issued a, it was funny, there was a rubric involved where it was like, if you're at this age, this temperature is too dangerous for you. If you're at this age, and those two went up and down against each other, like if you're 50 and it's 102 in the Grand Canyon, you're fine. If you're 70, you can only go down if it's like 85 degrees. And so between my brother and my father and I, there was no good day or days for us to go camping. <laughs> I was going to take a bunch of MREs and make the two of them also eat them with me and report back on that. And it did not happen. Now, uh, thanks a lot, climate change. We're considering doing a summer camping trip in Alaska next year. Oh. Which would that... be fucking amazing. Yeah. Which means I need to start planning, like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really cool. Because my brother did go to Alaska, so I need to get a whole new set of, like, here's the list of shit you need to buy to go camping in Alaska. So, you know, whatever. But I bought, I, the, the the hiking boots I bought will still be okay. Yeah, I think it's more or less the same. It's just also bear spray. Uh, well, right. Yeah, I, bear fighting with caribou, all like, nonstop. That's what I'm there for. Uh, I don't know. I, that's much more my... Speed as far as climate goes anyway. <laughs> Cold weather guy. Yeah. We shall see. All right. So anything else to say about this uh, block getting purchased? I don't think so. I think we, uh, we've we we've covered it. It's not in the 46th ward so or the 45th ward. So uh, Alderman Garbage Fire will have no ability to slow the process down. So we should see movement <laughs> in that. I don't know anything about Napolitano. He's been... Um, alderman up there for like a million years so whatever but i i imagine so the sale is happening right now it is september in chicago nothing is going to happen until spring there yeah. will be no uh, maybe interior stuff maybe they go in and start ripping out wiring and shit like that and they cut the gas off and all that but we're not going to see the building come down if it is going to come down until april yeah so that's going to be it's also it's a weird time to do that Unless what they have to do is apply for permits now and wait until the spring anyway because of how slow shit moves in Chicago. So I do not know. It'll be interesting. All right. Do you want to go from that to tipping? Sure. All right. This is an article from Axios Chicago written by Monica Eng. I can't say that I am friends with Monica Eng. We're not friends. We're like those, you know, you've got those different social circles online and they overlap in some cases. And Monica and I overlap in a couple of different social circles online. She has my phone number, but like doesn't call me a lot, right? Like it's that <laughs> sort of thing. I don't know I've ever been in person 
talking to her, right? But she does great work regardless, and she has written for Axios for a while. She uh, was uh, NPR, like WBEZ, here for a long time, and, and Chicago Tribune and that sort of thing. So Chicago moves closer to ending tipped wages is the um, title of this article. The short story on this is, in the city of Chicago, minimum wage is fifteen fifty an hour. If you are working a wage job in Chicago, you have to make $15.50 per hour worked. That's the law. If you are in a tipped position, you can make $9.48 an hour as long as the tips you receive bring you up to at least $15.50 an hour, right? If it does not, then your employer needs to make up the difference. However, that's across the pay period. That's not across the day. You could make zero tips one day, walk home with no money whatsoever. You can't take the bus because you don't have any money. And your employer has until paychecks come out to balance that shit all out. So again, this has always been the thing with service. It's feast and famine. You yeah. work a Wednesday, you make no money at all. You work a Saturday, you make $1,000. So I'm not really lamenting the server portion of this. It was just sort of surprising to me to find out that, and I should have known, that it's a paycheck thing. So like, if you don't make enough for it to be fifteen fifty an hour average for all the hours you've worked your employer needs to make it up but they need to make it up on your paycheck which could be a two-week pay period so it could be you know 18 days before you see the money that you're supposed to have chicago under brandon johnson the brand new mayor who's all shiny and hopeful and we'll see how long that takes to wear off <laughs> is trying to eliminate the tipped wage make all servers in the city of chicago minimum wage employees with tipping happening on top of that Steve, what's your knee-jerk reaction to that idea of getting rid of oh, of getting rid of the tip thing in Chicago? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm for it. I don't know if it's possible, but I, I'm I mean we're I think I'm on record as being like yeah, tips are not great. Uh, tipping is not great. Yeah, so agreed. And as we discussed in our previous ver in version one of this episode, <laughs> uh, tipping in this country without question has its roots in slavery. Yeah. You sent me a really interesting article about how during the, the time of slavery, so pre-Civil War, in the North at least, servers would be white men and they would do their work and they were compensated appropriately and all of that. After emancipation, primarily in the North, servers were black women who then wouldn't get paid at all and would just get paid via tips, which was this notion that they were, quote, bringing over from Europe, which you mentioned was funny because they don't tip in Europe anymore. Yeah. And then that was increased to $2.13 an hour at some point, and then only recently has been increased beyond that. And there are still states where the tipped wage is $2.13 an hour yeah. today. So restaurant owners are saying look if i have to pay my staff 15.50 an hour we have to raise prices to which i'm saying okay then do it because i feel like it has to happen anyway because the restaurant industry has for 150 years in this country not paid half to two-thirds of their staff and have allowed an increasingly grumpy populace to be in charge of that and that's irresponsible that's not taking care of your staff and it's weird it's just fucking weird but we've normalized it which i believe you brought up in the last episode yeah well and and uh, one of the things i said was that we you know we're addicted to it as a culture in the u.s yeah. anyway we're addicted to this idea and and uh something you brought up uh in the first round of this or the the our rehearsal uh, recording <laughs> Um, was that it is 100% for the business. It is not for the patron, and it is not for the employee that this exists. 
Well, right, right. So it was carried over from a roots in slavery and then just post-slavery continued, you know, uh, using of these people. And it has been continued to this day in, like you just said, in a way that only benefits the business. Having a sub-minimum tipped wage, meaning if somebody's getting tips, you can pay them less than the minimum wage. That does nothing but benefit the business. It doesn't benefit the employees. It doesn't benefit the uh, customers. Nothing. Like you just said, it's just there to protect the business. So, of course, when legislation like this is proposed, the businesses are going, we can't do that. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I would say that, uh, you know, to play the advocate of the business owners a little bit, um, that with things being the way they currently are, rents being yeah. the way they currently are and taxes being the way they currently are margins restaurant margins are never great right aren't yeah. it's not like uh hey i want to be a millionaire i'm going to open a restaurant um it can happen but y- y- there are lots of other uh, factors that influence that not just opening a restaurant and they'll you know the world will beat a path to your door so there is that yes we get it however that's part of the addiction i think is that we're addicted to paying a certain price when we go out to eat we're addicted to all the these things and um to speak to the fact that this isn't for the patron there's a lot of people that say well i like being able to tip because that that then ensures that i get good service from whoever it is but the idea there is that you're punishing that person if they aren't doing exactly what you want and that's not how it should be like if you if i go to uh tgi fridays and i get bad service i shouldn't blame the server that's tgi friday's fault they're the ones that you know tgi friday should be the one that i'm holding accountable i mean unless the server got up and pooped on my meal in which case sure i'm gonna be like well okay that was that person obviously something going on with them that needs to be taken care of i can't necessarily blame tgi fridays for that unless part of their training is how to squat on a table I mean, kudos to you for being able to tell the difference between TGI Friday's food and server poop. <laughs> that's that's discernment right there. Well, you know, I've been to TGI Friday's and I have been to Cheesecake Factory. So, uh, yeah, you know. So I would say you're absolutely right. The, the power structure of tipping is entirely punitive, right? So nobody goes into a restaurant thinking, I'm only tipping a dollar but I have room for this person to impress me. That's not how they're going in. They're going in saying... Here, here is the amount of money that I'm willing to part with for this person who I believe is beneath me. And if they don't do exactly what I expect, even though I'm entirely incapable of communicating that to them because I'm a knucklehead customer, I'm going to begin removing money from that. I am going to punish this person. And that's what it is. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to be the one to have to tell you this, but like in the last, like during my career, so in the last 30 years, but definitely in the last 10, restaurants have become more contentious, not between the front and back of the house. That's actually gotten better. Between the restaurant and the customers. Customers now think, like, it's this this notion of the customer is always right. Which, fuck you, Danny Meyer, by the way. The customer is not always right. The customer is generally hungry, which means that they're upset. They're not terribly gracious. They're impatient. They have no idea in the real world what things actually cost. And they think that they are there to be taken care of, but not in a... You're going to order a thing. We're going to make it for you. Everything's going to be healthy and it's not going to get you sick. And you're you're, like, that's the transaction. They think they're going to be babied. They're going to be coddled, right? That's not the case, right? This is a business transaction. You go to a restaurant, you order a thing, you get the thing, you pay the bill. That's how that's supposed to go. If the server made you feel uncomfortable because they had a nose ring, that's not their problem. 
That's yeah. your problem. Right. And it shouldn't shouldn't show up in the tip. And it has gotten worse and worse and worse. And this idea of the customer is always right. No, the customer is always an angry, hungry knucklehead. <laughs> and restaurant managers, like you just said, it's not the server's fault. Restaurant managers, owners, operators, bosses need to be the ones between. Right? They need to be, be the bendu. They need to be the ones in the middle. They need to be the customer is angry, the server is upset, and the manager is the one going in there going, hey, customer, be a better fucking customer. If we lose your business today, you tell all these other knuckleheads not to come here. Okay, we've increased the the, the quality of our customer base, right? Because every restaurant has good customers who, I will tell you this 100% right now, every restaurant has good customers who feel a little uncomfortable going to a place because of the bad customers. Yeah. Right? I've said this before. The second worst thing about Jewel Osco Grocery Store are the other motherfuckers in Jewel Osco Grocery Store. Like, it's a badly run grocery store, and I hate it, and I hate their employees, which is a management issue. But the other customers are the worst, and it's a good 60% of why I don't shop there, is because of the other customers. People in Jewel are fucking nasty. And if you just pissed off enough of those nasty people and they went away, you would get more of those good people in. Simple as that. Yeah. And it'll it'll take a minute. It'd make the whole thing more pleasant for everybody, employees and and uh, customers. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what you were saying about the punitive aspect of tipping, there are people out there who believe, well, if I intentionally don't tip right now or tip very, very low, this server will learn a lesson and will be better next time. That's not going to happen. The server's just going to be bitter. And when they see you again, they are going to give you bad service to begin with because they know they're not going to get a good tip. So be aware of that. Secondly... If the servers had a living wage, I'm not even talking minimum wage, I'm talking a living wage, the quality of the people who choose to do that work and who feel invested in that work and who feel like the restaurant is partly owned by them and they want to make things better, they don't work there, they want to work there, you will get better service out of those people anyway. You have to pay them first. You have to train them first. You have to appreciate them first. It's not a thing that happens overnight either, right? So like... My staff at my job right now, I have spent seven years refining what I want to get out of my staff. And I have some people on my staff who have been there this whole time. This year, I was able to also convince my bosses, these people need more money. I am getting better, more, harder work out of all of them. And I didn't have to ask any of them for it. Because they know what to do because I've told them what to do. They know what the expectations are. They've been trained. And now the other part of that is in place as well, which is they're all getting paid. Everything is fucking great at my job right now. <laughs> you know, And it's because of those pieces in, in place. I'm not asking my client to pay my staff for me. We're doing that. Yeah. It's easier. I, I need to acknowledge my privilege in that. It's easier for me because it's contract work and because people above me actually do the negotiations. I just throw numbers at them. But the same thing will happen in, in, in restaurants. You've all had really good service. You know why? That's somebody who wants to be there, who's good at their job, who enjoys it. And if you're making poverty wages, even if you did really enjoy the job, you're not going to be a good server if you know that you're, you're not financially appreciated at the end yeah. of every day. Well, and the other thing, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm I'm... Sorry, servers, if you're a um, in waitstaff somewhere, uh, you are cannon fodder. Um, yeah. Because there, none of you are so crucial to the running of that place that if you left, you would be noticed for that long. Um, Under the current system, yeah. Right. Be, it's structurally set up that way. It's also structurally set up that way so that if something goes wrong, you can be blamed. And yeah. you, you, it can be written off as that, and then the management and the restaurant itself um, can wash their hands of it 
and go about their day because it wasn't their fault. It was the server's fault. So it's always your fault and you're not getting paid uh, for it. And again, if we change that mode, if we make them employees and we make it like, no, it is the restaurant's responsibility. It's the restaurant's fault. If, and when anything goes wrong, then the restaurant is going to be more protective of those people. Um, because if you get, um, good people, then you're going to want to keep them. Um, and, uh, you know, they can, they can be, um, more defensive of their people and, and step in when something is going terribly wrong. If they can, if, if a server's like, look, this table's awful, they're making all these, uh, asinine requests and whatever they, they're not going to feel like they have to acquiesce to that stuff in order to get a good tip because their wage is literally on the line. Yeah. Um, they don't have to steal ice cream or whatever it is from your cooler to give them to appease, to appease this table in order right. to hopefully get a good tip or whatever other shenanigans go on because they know they're getting their wage however that table feels about them personally. Yeah. We, we can we – can st- <laughs> dining out can stop being personal. <laughs> well, um, and so you're absolutely right. The The core of the job that a server does will be under, like if, if it actually was wage and not tip, would be more consistent and would be, I would say, better without question if the importance was placed on the employee by the restaurant and not by the customer because the customers are all different. No, yes. no, I did not lose power. Okay, you were saying if, uh, um, uh, I, I forget. I had. Are you are you recording still? I'm recording again. I, I just ha- I just had to check mine again. Yeah. So here's the thing. The 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 requirements of each table are different as it stands right now, and like you just said, the server puts their intention into getting that table what that table wants because they know their tip money is coming from that table, and so their attention is divided, their training is divided. If each server was getting cared for by the restaurant financially, the training in that restaurant would be very consistent. The expectations would be consistent. You're going to get better consistent service out of those folks because they know the restaurant has their back. That's what that is. The restaurant has their back. Yeah. Whereas what you just said, they're a monkey dancing for each table, but they're dancing (gasps) differently. I know. And so (laughs) Pants hates servers. I get it. Hates the whole tipping service. Yeah, he's with us. Yeah. And so all of these things point to like, can you imagine if your Amazon delivery service or let's let's say postal service, let's say the postal service was tip based and you didn't tip your postal worker one day and then you didn't get your mail for a week. Right. Yeah. Would you be angry at the postal service or would you be angry at that particular mail carrier in our current tipping system you would be angry at the mail carrier and then the postal service would say yeah gary didn't do his job because they could just push that off but we don't have that the the post office pays their employees they deliver the mail every day and that's just what they do that's how service should be people say that if servers were paid by the restaurant an appropriate amount then service would dwindle like the servers because they wouldn't have to dance for the tables i say the opposite is true restaurants could really start enforcing standards of service and say here is what we do here is how we do it everyone gets the same service and you have people who are happy to be at work because they know they're valued like you just said they're cannon fodder right now yeah 
And, and the reason people say that is because those people are customers and what they mean is that um, I won't be able to coerce this person into doing things for me. Yep. Um, I'll have to abide by the rules of the place because right now, restaurant owners, all of your servers, if they're tipped servers, they don't work for you. They work for that table. Yep. They're not They're not really your employee for two whatever an hour and you think that they're loyal to you? No way. They're loyal to whoever's tipping them. Yeah, and it would be amazing to me to find out exactly how much money each restaurant loses per year in free sides of ranch because the <laughs> server knows if they put a quarter on that bill for ranch, they lose $4 in tips. Yeah. Simple as that, right? But again, if the restaurant is training the staff appropriately, taking care of the staff, like how many servers work enough hours and are, are set up in the system in such a way that they have paid vacation time? So if you made serving into a full-time job that paid a living wage, that had medical insurance and fucking uh, paid time off and all that, you know what you would get? Professionals to do it. Because it yeah. would be a profession again. You know who makes seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year? The Drake Hotel servers, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel servers, the um, Marriott Hotel servers. And you know what they are? Union. Yeah. These, these folks make... $18 an hour, plus massive tips for all the weddings that they do. They take huge vacations every year. If they do a clopen, right, if they if they close one night and open the next morning, they get to stay at the hotel for free if they if it's uh, less than nine hours in between their shifts. Like, the I, I, there's never going to be a restaurant union. Ain't never going to happen. But that's the model. Yeah. That's the model right there. And... Um, Two other things I would say about this. Um, well, maybe only one, because I don't know if I'll remember the other. Um, <laughs> uh, is that uh, if if you if you say as a restaurant owner, I can't afford to pay servers um, a living wage, then what you can't afford is to have a restaurant format that requires servers. There yeah. are lots of other formats out there. Do a Panera. Do a quick service. Do a, you know what, we don't have servers. You're going to order your food. You're going to come up here. And then we can sort of change, start to change the culture to where it becomes uh, uh, normalized that if I'm going to a sit-down restaurant, then I'm paying a premium for that yeah. service. If yeah. I'm going to a Denny's, I'm going to get off my ass and get my own plate out of this window because – um, why wouldn't I? It's Denny's. Well, so 100%. I had two more things to say, and I do remember what they are. One of which is exactly what you're saying. You will see in a response to this, let's say it goes through, you will see in a response to this lots and lots of upscale casual places go to a system where you are ordering like at the bar or you are ordering at a counter of some sort and you're paying ahead and they have food runner busters and that's it. So you will have self-serve soda and water on on one side and there was a restaurant for years in it was on central and montrose it was a place called central kitchen and tap that was that i lost nothing in that experience by ordering at the counter i could see into the kitchen i knew the owner so there was that and we were brought our food at the table we had a number we were brought our food by the same person who was going to bust the table later that person was minimum wage and that's fine. And we there was an option for tipping, and they split the tips in the entire building, and it was a beautiful system. Uh, it's a weird location, so that, that place didn't work out. But you'll see that. You'll see what you're saying. Counter service where you order and pay, and then someone brings you your food at your table and then buses the table for you, and you get your own drinks. You'll see that move. 
Uh, the other thing you'll see is restaurants just going, look, if I have to pay my servers fifteen fifty an hour, I'm just going to raise my menu prices 20%. I would say fucking do that. Yes. And yes, is it is it ugly in a PR sense? Yes. Is it uh, going to be hard to do? Is it going to be hard to sell to your, to your customers? Yes. However, anybody who has any sort of class, anybody who has any sort of like feeling toward their fellow man knows that they when they look at the menu prices online they're going to be paying 20 percent more than that anyway because they're going to tip because they're not a fucking monster that should be the expectation anyway increase everything on the menu by 20 percent and just uh, put that money back into your staff right like that's the easy painful answer yeah because you're gonna lose a lot of customers in the first like couple of weeks and that's the other thing that i i criticize my industry for this so much you gotta give things a minute you change something, you can't change it, and the next day be like, that didn't work. Fucking give it a minute. Let people get used to it. Because you know what'll happen? Same thing that happened with eggs. Price of eggs has not come back down. There's a bajillion chickens out there. There's no more chicken flu, and COVID is almost gone, and the price of eggs did not come down. Ain't nobody complaining about it right now. Same thing with butter. After about a month, nobody's going to remember that your burger used to be $15, and now it's seventeen sixty. You know? Yeah, or do the thing, because I, I mean, I think egg prices came down from their high, which is the other tr- tactic there is, yeah, raise your burger to $18, and then when you take <laughs> it down to 15 people are going to be like, oh, this is so much better, and they're going to forget they used to pay, whatever, 8 for it. Yeah. And I really, we've talked about this before, too. I kind of, like, I love my industry, which is why I feel so comfortable criticizing it. Yeah. I feel like... There needs to be a middle class rise of what you were talking about. The counter service, maybe you get your own plate, maybe a a, a busser combo food runner comes to you with it. I would love to see more of that style of restaurant out there because maybe it's not working. Maybe the idea of having full service but not fine dining prices doesn't work. Maybe it just simply does not work. And if that's the case then stop doing that right. right you have you have a bartender you have a floor manager you have a cashier and you have eight food runner bussers and that's your front of the house staff yeah like, unless you're fine dining unless you're a hotel unless you know uh you're a, a, a country club or or uh maybe even a diner but then you also expect a certain level of service at a diner because the diners the thing diners had going for them when diners were diners is that they were small so you yeah. could have one or maybe two wait staff for the entire place and they're both named Sheila and they call you sweetie i love that yes or so honey. so that maybe that's maybe it's like well maybe your diner doesn't need to be you know have you know eight sections 20 sections or whatever you know um, if you're going to do a diner, then then you can afford it because it's so small. The same person that's doing the counter can do the tables and no one's going to throw a conniption fit because we have an expectation when we go to a diner and we have an expectation yeah. when we go to a sit-down place. Yeah, it's all about um, managing those expe- expectations. And I agree. I may, I, maybe the sit-down place – like, listen, fellow people in the middle class, maybe I'm <laughs> lower middle class. I don't know. Um where did I read? Did you send me something? I just saw something recently, or maybe it was just a comic or something, that uh, um, everyone in America, in the middle class, thinks that they're, um, or feels that they're uh, a millionaire who's just currently embarrassed. Temporarily embarrassed. Yeah, Temporarily yeah, yeah. I want to say it's like a 
Mark Twain quote or something. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. So, you know, like, look, we don't have to pretend we're doing fine dining when we go out to friggin', you know, uh, the corner, whatever it is. Like, let's stop pretending. Right. It's That's not what it is. Well, there's that, and we've also talked about this in the past, too, which you can be a really good restaurant and not be fine dining. I hate the stratification of it. Like, you just brought up diners. I fucking love a good diner. Yeah. Love a good diner because it's so very honest, right? It's so very simple and honest and clean, and Sheila calls you sweetie. I love all of those things. Is the coffee great? No, but there's a lot of it, you know? So within each style of service... There's good and bad, right? Like, you can be a really good diner, you can be a shitty diner. But I hate that everything is held to this, well, it's not fine dining. Ah, eh, you know, I've also, <laughs> I've had some bad fine dining experiences. I'll be completely honest. Let's talk real quick about my anniversary dinner. Because yes. this is what we're talking about. I went to a restaurant called Eden last week, in the middle of the week, with my wife and my kids, because it was our 20th wedding anniversary, which is a very long time, right? And we went to this restaurant. It's in Avondale. It is... Is it fine dining? Yeah! I think so. Although I can't... Like, we, we dressed up a little bit. No, no tie. There was no tablecloth. The servers were nice, which makes me wonder if it was really fine dining. Because <laughs> a nice server, I don't know that they work at a fine dining place. And the, the like, water refill folks, the bussers and such, they were also really nice. It, it was great... I was happy to pay for the food that we got. They they do like this local thing where they they source from a certain radius and they also have a greenhouse and a garden and all this kind of stuff. Every bite was great. No portion of it was necessarily surprising. Like they weren't doing the kind of work that we saw at Cook's House. Right. Except for the dessert, which I'll talk about in a second. But like everything was really, really good. I had a pork tagliatelle ragu kind of a pasta dish. It was really good. Did it surprise me? Did it knock my socks off? No, but it was really good. My wife had sea bream. She said it was amazing. My daughter, the littlest of all four of us, ordered a big fucking steak. She said it was great. <laughs> my son had a roasted half chicken. Very important how you say that phrase, because if you say half roasted chicken, you could be talking about something that's not fully cooked yet. <laughs> It was great. Like, everything about it was great. I was very happy that they had mocktails on the menu. I was able to get a uh, pineapple sour that was really pretty good. And whatever. What did I... <sighs> Lots of people feel uncomfortable in fine dining. And I feel like that's the part that needs to go away if we wanted to talk about fine dining real quick. Because we had fun. Like, the place was fun. I saw someone there I knew, right? Like, it was just cool. I think cool is more important than, like, hoity-toity. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the part of fine dining is that it's uh, uh, exclusionary. Right. Uh, so, And that's the point. Because yeah. a lot of those people don't want to eat with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say that the service is intrinsic to fine dining. The part where you are being coddled, yes, that is a part of fine dining. Someone is bringing everything to you, taking care of every need. Are you going to get that? And should you expect that at a burger place? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. And that's the problem. I want to say that maybe the problem with customers in this country right now is that everyone is it it's it's like a negative aspirational thing. It's like, well, if I'm going to this burger place, I should be treated like I'm going to fine dining. And it's like, nah, Nancy, you're just going to a burger place. You you get what you pay for menu price wise if you want to be coddled if you want to be completely taken care of and all that kind of stuff go to the fine dining place go to the place where you're uncomfortable and the other customers don't want to hang out with you if you're going to a burger place 
that's not the level of service you're going to get because that's not what's that's not the that's not the point of it. Right. Yeah, and and the the cost of all that extra service is built into the experience of doing yeah. fine dining. Um, yeah. I mean, I also feel like knowing that, that the fine dining places should not be able to do tipped wage. <laughs> Just right. like if you're charging, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if one meal costs over a hundred dollars without drinks, because yeah. it's easy to do that with drinks, but like without drinks, if one meal is a hundred dollars or over, then you don't get a uh, tipping wage credit, tip wage credit. You have to pay. I don't know what the number would be, but you know, if, yeah, over a certain. I, it would vary market to market. I'm yeah. sure. I mean, we paid right around 380 bucks for the four of us, which to me is kind of a lot. And I'm sure for the fine dining crowd, that's nothing at all. But it was, I we we ordered with abandon, right? Like we got appetizers, we got our entrees, we had dessert. My wife and I had mocktails. You know, it was it was a fun evening. Yeah. Um, I was happy to pay that amount. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's a very good metric as well. It's like it, because if you leave um, content with what what you've paid, like you don't feel like you've been gouged, that's a, that's yeah. a big deal. Um, if oh, you, for sure. If you would have left being like, "Wow, really? Where, like, what did this go toward? You know, how, how did we end up spending this much money?" That's a different feeling than being like, yeah. and "You know what? This was a great time. I'm happy to happy to pay this." Right, one hundred percent. Now you were going to get to dessert. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had – a friend of mine years ago told me that you can tell if a man wrote the uh, dessert menu because it will have something that's really heavy chocolate, something that's a cooked fruit dessert, something that's weird, and something that's liquidy, right, like a panna cotta or something like that. That's exactly what this menu had. <laughs> the weird thing – because there was a flourless chocolate cake. My kids both got that. There was a um, peach – it was a fancy peach cobbler. I forget exactly what they called it, but it was a fancy peach cobbler. They had a cookie plate, and I was like, oh, fucking cookie plate. That feels like an inside trick kind of thing, where there's no way they fuck up a cookie plate, but it's got to be more than a cookie plate, right? So I ordered yeah. it. It was a jam thumbprint cookie, like a little crumbly butter cookie. I'm sure they made the strawberry jam in-house. It was delightful. A chocolate truffle, and it was two of each of these. A Like a passion fruit gelée cube kind of a thing. What looked like a peanut butter cookie, because it had, like, the fork imprints across the top of it, but I don't know exactly what it was. It was not a, um, it was more like a pecan sandy, to be honest. Okay. Really good. And a chocolate chip cookie. And I picked the chocolate chip cookie up, and I sniffed it first. I don't know why I did that, but it smelled burned. And I was like, uh-oh, this can't be right. So I had my son sniff it, too. And he goes, that's not burned, that's smoky. I bit into it, chocolate chip bacon cookie. <laughs> they got me. They surprised me. I was really impressed. And now I need to make chocolate chip uh, bacon cookies at some point. No, yes for sure like why why have i never done that i do not know yeah agreed it was uh it was delightful i was i was impressed by that part i mean the whole meal was great don't get me wrong they're doing great work there but the cookie took me off guard so so would would we say then if we're just speaking of a spectrum of stuff that it's fine dining with a lowercase f possibly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's not a bad way to say it because um, it's more than upscale casual for sure yeah. but there's there's that middle ground where it's like approachable fine dining it's fine dining but you don't have to feel bad about your clothes you know yeah they're using words you can understand on the menu you don't have to have something described in in plain english right right and there's 
there's a level of fine dining that only attracts assholes and i don't know what to call that one but i can picture all of the asshole customers i've ever worked for in fine dining and that's not the kind of dining experience i want yeah that's like the kind of places dining (laughs) the kind of places my grandfather would have gone to on my mom's side the rich grandpa yeah (laughs) which is you're paying for exclusivity as much as you're paying for anything else yeah this is a dude who went like he was part of a yacht club right like yeah like members only yeah yeah which we we like we touched on this a while back that they're they're like the rise of subscription service fine dining where it's essentially a key club except it's fine dining do that and 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 satisfy those people in that environment that is what they have wanted this whole time anyway I don't want to eat there, so I don't yeah. feel like I'm being held back. Like, there is this sense among the people who don't understand that they're being held down by the 1% and wages have stagnated for 25 years, and they do think that right around the corner they're going to become a millionaire. Those folks feel like they're being left out. That's being left out of what feels like a bad time. Yeah, I'm okay with that, <laughs> right? That would be like somebody telling me that I can't go uh, to a Weezer concert. Be like, that's okay. I don't want to go to a Weezer concert, right? fine yeah i'm coming hard against weezer right now i don't care i don't like that band it, i don't understand ben you've never been shot in the shoulder come on <laughs> you don't want to be shot in the shoulder right everyone right. else has been shot in the shoulder right. yeah that's just so much of especially uh right now in society the um any sort of social cachet or whatever uh yeah. it, it is um the, uh built around the fear of missing out and yep. and yep. selling someone on that and it's like i've you know, I don't know whether it's just my age or, um, you know, the fact that I grew up in the Midwest. I don't know. But I'm like, I'm not I'm not interested in your TikTok. <laughs> like, well, there's there's you're right. It's the fear of missing out. So there is a segment of our population right now who all you have to do is tell them they're toddlers. All you have to do is tell them they can't do something or they're not allowed to do it. And they want it. You just go up to somebody and be like, you are not allowed to get a hand job from a porcupine. And then they're going to be furious. I don't want a hand job from a porcupine at all, like when I think about it for more than a second. <laughs> but there's a group of people out there that if you tell them they can't have that, they want it so bad. And then they're going to be, in their minds, self-righteously outraged about it. How dare yeah. you keep me from this thing? Like, that sounds awful. Don't do that anyway. You've been tricked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, even when we did the thing um, uh, on, I don't know whether it was our honeymoon cruise or whatever it was when it was like I needed, I had to borrow the the uh, restaurant's shoes in order yeah. to, and then the tablecloths went down to the floor anyway, that kind of thing. I like how you said our honeymoon, like it's you and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but it's like, it's like I made the joke afterward when they asked how everything was. I told Kay, I muttered to Kayla, I was like, would have been better with my own shoes. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it didn't really make that much of a difference to me. But it's like, there's a, there's a bit of like, it's it's odd, you know. I, I didn't feel bad having to borrow someone's shoes. Part of it was because, you know, it's not like I didn't have shoes. I just didn't have them with me that would have yeah. been uh, appropriate. Or And now they don't even – they've waived those rules of the jacket and everything else. Like, you know, when they take the jacket out of the coffin with the tweezers or whatever or the, <laughs> right. the tongs to hand to you because you have to wear a jacket in whatever the restaurant is. And they've had the jacket since 1965. Um, you know, that kind of thing is just weird and and. Um, I don't I don't need those experiences. I don't need the experience of wearing this old jacket so I can eat a meal in whatever place this is or I don't like ties. So if I have to wear a tie, Ugh. then I don't you know, I, it's OK. I don't need to eat here. 
when I was looking for my current job, so this is eight years ago, is it's not the last time I wore a tie, but it's the last time I purchased a tie because I was doing job interviews at director level, at the level that I am now. And I now looking back on all of it, I didn't get any of the jobs that I applied for where I wore a tie. And luckily for me, my industry is not real tie heavy. And it's inevitable if I stay in the company I'm in right now, I will have my boss's job three to five years, maybe five to seven years, right? Dude wears a tie kind of a lot. And I will, in that role, get in trouble for not wearing a tie. It's it's just, I'm 45. I don't floss. There's lots of things that I'm not going to change about <laughs> myself now, right? I drink too much coffee. I still read lots of Star Wars books. Like, I've made my decisions about who I am. I am not a dude who wears ties. I will dress up like we went to this restaurant. I wore khaki slacks. They were sort of a dark, like a milk chocolate color, because I like I don't like a light-colored pant. And a, a blue and green checkered shirt. And it was lovely. And I rolled that shirt all the way up to my elbows. I rolled the sleeves all the way up. Because you know what? That's what I do. That's how, like, I don't know what it, like, I love showing my forearms to people. That's my thing. <laughs> you can't do that with a tie on. You look fucking weird. So like, unless there is a legit dress code, in which case I might have to really think about that promotion when it does come my way. Be like, I don't know if there's a tie clause, we might have to have a different conversation. Now, see, here's, here's the thing though. If there is that clause, um, there's lots of different neckties you're thinking bolo and i'm with you on that <laughs> i wasn't thinking <laughs> big bolo. old like map of texas choker thing yeah i was i was thinking one i bet you could do a bow tie but i don't know if you'd like a bow tie but i was thinking you know what fred from scooby-doo had neckwear a cravat yeah um that's like uh that's like a super fancy scarf uh, or, or an ascot, maybe. Yeah, um, you yeah, know, yeah. There's lots of things that you could play around with to be like, you said I have to wear neck neckwear, so I'm wearing this. Or and, it's uh, like, it's a tie done up in a Windsor knot as a headband, like fucking yeah. uh, Rambo. I'm here for that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, the thing is, I'm working on growing my hair out right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I am uh, Ojibwa, Indian, Native American, whatever. I have no connection to my heritage at all. I feel really bad about that. But my kid brother grew his hair out and braided it, and it looks fucking badass. So I'm in the process <laughs> of braiding my hair right now. I will go full regalia if I have to. If somebody's like, you have to wear a tie, I will be like, uh-uh, I'm dressed for a powwow. This is my culture. <laughs> <laughs> I will join a tribe. Like, I will get uh, I will get registered, the whole deal. If it's legitimately your own culture, even though you haven't been practicing, is it appropriation? Probably. <laughs> I also will have to like start tanning and stuff because I do just look like a regular ass gringo. <laughs> I don't speak Ojibwe. I don't really know. Like, I've been very lazy in that regard. I should probably get more in touch with my culture. But I'm also just as much Polish and Irish. And so I should find out shit about those too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. That's, that's uh, a had... fusion restaurant waiting to not happen, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots of potatoes and pemmican. <laughs> Although, hey, do you want to transition into just uh, fries? Because I don't remember how we got there in the last time we recorded this episode. I do remember. So if you if you want the transition, uh, Ben, last time we recorded, Ben was like, you know what? For some reason, I have a hankering for McDonald's French fries, oh. but I'm not going to go there for just fries. Yes. How did we get to McDonald's French fries? I don't recall. But I did. Oh, oh, my. It was National Cheeseburger Day recently. Which I don't care about all these national days. Again, that's influencer bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I think I am an influencer now because they did send me that grilled cheeses 
cheese press, uh, grilled cheese maker. So I think I might be an influencer now, but I'm not really comfortable with that. <laughs> but so National Cheeseburger Day, my lead cook sends me a picture of this haul. She got uh, McDonald's, or no, she got she got Burger King, she got someplace else, and she got White Castle. And she and her husband ate enough of this to like get physically ill. Not that anything was wrong with any of the individual items they ate. It was just a lot of cheeseburgers, right? Yeah. I saw the fries and I got hungry and I was like, oh no, that's not cool. And so I thought, well, maybe while I'm out, I'll just get some fries. But I thought, I'm not going to go to fucking McDonald's to do that because McDonald's fries have that chemical uh, magic where it's just enough sugar and just enough salt that you eat one and you're like, oh, I'm going to eat every other potato on the planet now until I die <laughs> from this. It's addictive. And so I didn't want to do that, but there is a place called Blaze and Grill not far from me where I thought, well, I could get Just Fries from them. And then you and I started talking about why the fuck isn't there a restaurant called Just Fries? Yes. <clears throat> and my initial, um, the initial thing I threw out there was that it's the place that is prolific like uh, friggin' Dollar General is around here or uh, or whatever. It's like one on every corner so you can order whatever the hell you want from f- yeah. 50 miles away and have your DoorDash driver bring it to you. You just don't order fries with it and then you get the fries from closer and you know the fries are, are uh, fresh. And you're, uh, you said, no, 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 it's more of a Noodles & Co., Noodles and Co. for potatoes, yeah. So the idea is what you, ladies and gentlemen, in my head, just fries would be this. The top of the menu is curly, waffle, steak fries, um, shoestring fries, you know, house-cut regular-ass fries, sweet potato fries, and then something weird like a polenta fry, right? Underneath that is all the shit you can put on top of them. So you as a customer are picking your potato or polenta. And then you're putting shit on top of it. And it's either in a bowl or like a paper boat or maybe like a like a tall soup container kind of thing. And we were talking about, like this fits right into what we were talking about with tipping. No seating. Unless it's yeah. outside like, a, like an ice cream place, right? All counter service. And everything underneath it is like chili. Chicken chili. Vegetable chili. Uh, shredded cheese. Like three or four kinds of shredded cheese. Queso dip. Just a regular ass, like a Velveeta cheese sauce. Yeah. Uh, cooked broccoli, mushrooms, uh, sour cream, scallions, like crumbled bacon. Like you could take a waffle fry and make a loaded baked potato out of it in a bowl, right? At Just Fries. Yeah. And, and uh, then for the sweet potato one, there are there's like a maple syrup. There's like a cinnamon brown sugar butter. You can do like all sorts of stuff. And then for dessert, we landed on pound cake. Yep. That you cut into what do you call them? Batane, little little strips. And um, either you throw them. I mean, if you're making the pound cake there, if you have an oven to do that, then you're throwing them in, possibly throwing them in there to warm them up, um, or you're doing uh, um, beer batter and frying your uh, yeah <laughs> batane or whatever, so that they're also fried. And uh, then you have you know your your. Uh, coolies and your whipped creams and your yeah. whatever else that chocolate you're sprinkling. chips yeah. yeah nutella i mean could you imagine a beer battered deep fried pound cake basket of fries with nutella and uh, maraschino cherries on it like come on i've never been super high in my life but i would eat the fuck out of like three of those <laughs> yeah I mean, the, I, I see zero wrong with this concept. Oh, by, and I did say this last time, but because my audio disappeared, if anyone ever hears it, <laughs> uh, they wouldn't catch this. Uh, trademark Ben Randall 2023. Uh, <laughs> right. We looked it up. There was a restaurant called Just Fries in Palatine, Illinois. But to my knowledge, at least what I saw online, it no longer exists. And I couldn't even get the menu. So I don't know if, like, we're reinventing the wheel here or something. But uh, 
my head goes to should you also have chips and i think the answer is no i think you don't do chips because chips fries you you fry them you top them you serve them hot they're crispy they're great they go chips the 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 trick there would be you would want to make them in advance and chips immediately start to get soggy and stale as soon as you take them out of the fryer so i would not want to do that with the caveat that the um uh uk franchises would be called just chips just chips yeah because there our fries are their chips or chips in it yeah <laughs> yes. let's be real racist against the british and open up a french fry restaurant <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> okay so here is a buffalo rising.com uh just fries buffalo's first and only french fry cafe is there see a... that automatically sounds too fancy cafe fuck off yeah let me see if the, that led to anything. Yeah, there's no way we're inventing this, but I feel like we have the best version. Yeah, so the 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 link to their actual website is not working. So, so just like a barbecue place, like you remember, we've talked about this in the past, barbecue places traditionally, and I'm not ragging on any particular barbecue place, traditionally have garbage sides, right? You go to a barbecue place and you're like, oh, these are the best ribs. This is the best brisket. This is the best pulled pork I've ever had. And their three bean salad clearly came out of a can that said Cisco on the side of it. Right. Their mac and cheese clearly came from the GFS store in a tray that you just throw into the oven. Their coleslaw clearly came out of a five-gallon bucket, right? So the trick to just fries, you need to nail your fry production. So you're probably buying waffle fries. That's fine. Buy the best ones you can find. You're probably buying shoestrings. That's fine. Buy the best ones. Same thing with curlies, because I don't even know how the fuck those are made. (laughs) If you're hand cutting your steak fries, if you're hand cutting your regular fries, right, like your pub fries, you've got to get Kennebec potatoes. You've got to be blanching them at 300 degrees. You've got to be refrying them at 365. Like, you need to nail that part. Then... Your chili needs to be really good. Your queso needs to be really good. Your yes. toppings need to be really fresh. You need to nail all of it. This is not a restaurant where you're like, well, we're a burger restaurant. So, like, our vegetarian items are okay, but they're not great. That's not what you're here for. Everything on your menu has to be the thing someone is there for. And it's got to be fucking perfect. So, this is why Just Fries, because we, I think this came up in a... How do you make your restaurant make money? And I said something about just doing potatoes, and then that's how we got to the burgers and whatever. Because potatoes, ah, still pretty fucking cheap. Yeah. Unfortunately, here's where your labor dollars are going. The cooks at Just Fries have to be really good. They have to be invested. Like, you have to have a cook there that's like, yo, as a special, can we get in ground bison so I can do a bison chili? You need people like that. You need people who are like, you know what I live for? French fries. (laughs) And you have to pay them well and you have to keep them. You cannot be training somebody every other month on how to make your chili at that restaurant because the first time you fuck it up, you're dead. (laughs) It's got to be amazing. It's got to be absolutely amazing. Yes. Like, you need to surprise people. You also need this to be a limited menu food truck that you send to festivals and shit. The Just Fries truck. the, The Just Fry Ride. And... You can do that because all you need is fryers and uh, steam well, like a hot well for your Cambros, for your fucking uh, uh, Bain Marie's for your for your chilies. That man would be amazing, but you have to nail it. This is not something where you're like, well, I'm gonna pick uh, an okay chili base from Cisco and I'm gonna 
mess. No, 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 no. You're like dry beans, ground beef. You're getting in onions. You got like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be surprisingly good for anybody who goes there. Yes. Um, so I and, and I was just doing a little poking around, and there are. We, I don't know if we'd be able to use the name just fries because there are a few of them out there, though none of them appear to be what we're talking about here. Oh, this one might be the closest now that I say that. But uh, because there is a place in Virginia that is is there basically do fairs, and it's you know French fries at a fair. Yeah, that's what you get. So it's French fries and then sauces. So they're doing one fry and they're doing a bunch of sauces. Um, and then these other places, like there's one that's just frites <laughs> uh, in Ohio. Um, and uh, and then I, there's another just fries that everything on there. Where is this? This is Zimbabwe. Oh, not Z- huge competition for us. But it's a burger joint. So here's the thing, the the restaurant notion of location, location, location has by and large been dismissed, especially in a social media heavy world like we live in now. People will go to a place if it's good enough. People will go there. You may need parking, but people will go there. So that's been largely debunked. However, this particular one, you're going to want to pick pretty carefully because you want a medium-sized college town, right? Where you can also sell booze. So you need it to be. <laughs> I don't think this is a server kind of place. I really do think this is a, like, you walk up to the counter. You look at the whole thing. Like a Noodles & Co. You look yeah. up at the whole thing. You make your selection. You get a your printed receipt. Or, and you get, like, one of those little flashy number coasters. Or you get, like, a number on your table. And it's brought to you. But, honestly, seating at a bar at Just Fry's. I could see drunk people eating just fries a lot. And so you want like a Columbus, Ohio. You want like a Springfield, Illinois. You want a smaller college town. Not like, uh, like is just fries surviving in Manhattan? Probably not. Right. Is it going to rock and roll in Madison, Wisconsin? Fuck yes. Yeah. Ann Arbor, Kalamazoo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so... Um, I mean, this this shouldn't be surprising, Ben, but the one I just sent you looks to be the closest to what we're talking about. And it appears, it appears, if they're still around, that the Mexicans beat us to it. This is Honestly, just I don't fries. feel too bad about that. <laughs> yeah, in Guadalajara, Mexico. And okay, so again, not competition. Their pictures of stuff look, I mean, it's it's probably not exactly the same, but it looks pretty good. I mean, I mean, it's real close because it's fries with junk on them. So, oh, I love the little box, ladies and gentlemen. If you go to the Just Fries on Facebook, it's in Spanish, so you know, buckle up. But uh, it's a little box that has a bunch of fries in the left hand side. It's about two thirds of the the size of the box, and then uh, the way the box is constructed, there's space for three different dipping sauces. That's amazing. Yeah. I love like that that attention to detail. That's pretty rad. And I don't know if those, if the one, oh, some of this looks so good. Um, yeah, yeah. This just, it's proof of concept right here. Um, we also had the idea, looks like they have potato wedges as a thing, but they had some things that kind of look like chips, but they might be too thick. Um, I don't know if you see the picture that's got uh, waffle fries. It's got three little separate, like, uh, porcelain doodads. Um, but the one look like they're kind of cut like chips, but those, they're... They're too thick to be chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's like a steak fry. Um, I might be looking at the wrong one. 
No, I love everything about this. This yeah. looks a lot like you know what this looks like. It looks like somebody. So you know how we have uh, Americanized Chinese food. We have Taco Bell, that kind of thing. Somebody yeah. in Mexico was like, eh, "Let's Mexicanize French fries in Guadalajara," <laughs> and it it looks great. To be honest, everything's got pickled jalapenos on it. You know, come on. Yes. Like for me at Just Fries, at the ones that I own in my head, one of them has to have like barbecue shredded pulled pork on it with yeah the option of having you know pickled peppers cilantro scallions like all that kind of shit on there like almost a taco salad made out of french fries the uh the sad thing about this place if anyone's near guadalajara is that their last post is from 2020 so i do not know if they still exist um yeah but if not uh it's a shame and um if so i've never had a better reason to go to guadalajara it feels like a slam dunk. The real trap with this place would be containing the menu. Because as yeah. I am thinking about this, my mind is just bubbling with all the different shit you can put on fries. But you need to keep it small. It needs to be like six count of fries, 12 toppings, 18 toppings, and that's it. You have to stop at some point because you're going to get to that Cheesecake Factory level of no one thing here is great. Everything yeah. is okay. And that's not what you want. You want every single thing to be great, but you need to cut it off. So if somebody comes in and they're like, hey, you know what I really want is a turkey chili. You tell them to get the fuck out. <laughs> well, you could, you know, you could still do seasonal things. So Thanksgiving, you could get your turkey chili. Ooh, see, I like where your head's at with that. And um, and then it's just stuff that comes around every now and again, but it's not like on yeah. your menu all the time. You, you, have, you have two or three slots. Like these are the rotational stuff. Ooh, you know what would be good? Because it would also be good for product utilization and uh, waste management. You have three chilies all the time, but they rotate. So yeah. you always have a vegetarian chili, whatever. And then you always have a red meat chili and a white chili. And the white chili sometimes is chicken, sometimes it's turkey, sometimes it's completely vegetarian. The red meat chili. And it'll just be a matter of what you could get like work your prices right sometimes it's beef sometimes it's venison sometimes it's lamb like whatever it is or like instead of that one of your chilies could be lamb biryani right like you can get fucking weird with it but what i would be afraid of is the menu turning into a thousand different things because it is going to be complicated to put together you could get the sweet potato fries with the lamb biryani chili on it and then put a whole bunch of other stuff on there too the tickets are going to be really long so you have to contain it to begin with in a combinatorics sort of a sense, because you're going to have too many ways that people can 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 uh, combine all these things, and it's going to get confusing in the kitchen. Yeah. And what I would also not do, I would not do presets. So it wouldn't be like, oh, well, you know, Sammy's favorite on the menu is this thing because people are going to get that and then modify it. No, 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 no. Do just mods. It's I want this fry. I want this topping. I want this topping. I want this topping. Now I'm done. I do not want to see, I need a number three, no sour cream, extra yes, queso. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, uh-uh, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, One or the other. Or you do run staff specials where it's like, Sammy, the lead cook, made this thing for the next three days. You cannot modify it. If you get Sammy's favorite, you get it. Yes, it's got peanut butter on it. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah because you know what you can you can order something exactly the way you want it on this other part of the menu so uh yeah um well and i'm a fan of that anyway because when customers mod stuff and then they complain about it it's their fault but they feel like it's not their fault so if they're building it from scratch 
and they don't like it, fuck them. That's enough. I've had enough of people going, yeah, I want the salmon, but with the duck uh, plate sauce. And instead of the risotto, can I get the spinach salad underneath that salmon? And can I get some of those fried leeks on top of it? And they're like, I don't like it. And be like, bitch, you fucked it up. That's why you don't like it. And then they don't want to pay for it. It's like, you ruined this thing. And now you don't want to pay for it? Like, did I come into your house and break a window and go, oh, I broke this window. I'm not paying for it. Like, you fucked this thing up. So let them fuck it up from the beginning. And pay for it before they get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a little anti-customer today. I don't know why. I went to go get an oil change yesterday morning, and I went to the Jiffy Lube that opens the earliest near me, and it was closed. And I was like, this is fucked up. And it opened at 7, and I got there about 7.15, and they were closed. And I was like, interesting. On the door, it says 7 a.m. So I drove to a different one, which is not that close to me. And they open at 8, and I got there about 20 minutes early, and the uh, manager of that store apologized to me. So sorry you had to wait. And I was like, you weren't open. It doesn't matter what I was doing. I said, I'm in I'm in the restaurant industry. Like, I, customers are the worst. So, like, don't worry about me. I was just drinking coffee and reading a book in your parking lot. But I did mention to her. I was like, the one over on Glenview was closed, and they're supposed to be open at 7. And she shook her head. She goes, half of our customers come to us from that store. Oh. They're, clo- they're closed two-thirds of the time. They're supposed to be open. I was like, oh, What's that all about? She goes, I don't know. I'm not asking. They're just coming to us. So who who am I to say? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all right. But that's the kind of customer I want to be. I arrived before they opened. I have no reason to be angry that I that I sat in their parking lot for 20 minutes. They On their door, it said 8 a.m. I got there at 740, whatever. She still felt like she had to apologize to me. I was like, bro, you do not owe me anything. <laughs> I could If I had shown up at 2 o'clock in the morning, would you be sad that I had to wait? Like this, Customers have gotten out of fucking hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sad news from the research department. Uh-oh. There were th- it looks like there were three Just Fries in Guadalajara, and all three are permanently closed, according to Google, um, which uh, it could have been pandemic, um, judging yeah. by the timing there. So, um, uh, But the pictures look delicious. Might have to start doing some R&D for Just Fries. <laughs> that could be fun i haven't made french fries here at the house in a while because it takes a long time i need a new fridge there's not enough space in my fridge to hold all my experiments and shit. Oh, yeah, you've talked about that before any more um yeah. uh any closer to happening or um no, still in no. the uh exploration stage we keep having <laughs> to do other shit with our money and uh getting a new <laughs> fridge when we have a perfectly good fridge is yeah. low on the priority list yeah yeah all right, Steve. So we somehow managed to take about half of the last show we recorded and stretch it out into three quarters of this show. So <laughs> do you want – so now we're not going to get to most of what we talked about. Uh, do you want to talk about chocolate salami and then wrap this up? Yeah, sounds great. Because I – the thing about Marion, Kansas, not only is that news old, but like it's only tangentially related to restaurants and I don't feel like that's worth our time to gas that up anymore. Sure. So we can take that right off. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in a drunk restaurant owner getting a 98-year-old uh, small a newspaper publisher murdered, essentially, uh, just look up Marion, Kansas, uh, newspaper raid, and you'll find out all this stuff about how this lady, Carrie Newell, uh, doesn't feel bad at all that uh, she convinced the police to raid a newspaper owner's house, and that lady then died. She doesn't feel bad about it at all. That's all. Well, and the the hot take that we had, or uh, was yeah. that this 
is basically a bad restaurant relationship that spun out of control and boiled over into the community and now the world at large. And a woman is dead over it. Yeah. yeah. And the, the lady who started the whole thing, just unrepentant at all. Yeah. Fine. That's, that's, not, that's not worth our time. So, I sent this to you, but I don't know how it came to me. This is from Food52. Chocolate salami may just be our favorite plant-based meat. Now, having read this a number of times, I think that part's a joke. I don't think that Food52 yes. actually believes that chocolate salami is going to replace, like, the Boca Burger, right? Right, right. Uh, your initial response to this was that it's fancy no-bake cookies, which I cannot disagree with. Yeah, it's like, because it just seemed like the way it was put together was, um, we're going to take the oats out of no-bake cookies and we're going to substitute a bunch of other stuff. And, but yeah. if everything else, like the binding and everything is going to be about just about the same. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, if you've never had this like me, what I, the, the easiest way for me to describe this is it is, it is a tube. It is roughly salami shaped. And when you cut slices out of it, it honestly kind of looks like salumi, right? Because it's got, it basically has everything you would put into a fruitcake bound with chocolate and butter and heavy cream, right? Into what appears to be roughly fudge texture, but without that crumbliness. You know how fudge has that like, that sort of like granular uh, cr crumbliness? It doesn't seem to have that. So dried fruit, almonds, in some cases oats, more chocolate, things like that rolled up into this tube and then chilled and then you slice it and it looks kind of like salami uh it looks like uh they say biscuits but i they clearly mean cookies because they're wrong because uh, <laughs> they're british uh is another binder which makes sense to me as well i'll be honest and this is what we came around to when we recorded about this before i'll probably make this because it sounds good yeah weird but good yes uh, yeah, it, it, I didn't think it sounded bad at all. Uh, uh, um, it very and you could customize it to how whatever you want to put in there, right? It doesn't. Yeah. It's not like there's any sort of hard and fast. I was very amused by. Did you watch the the TikTok that's there in the part no. of the thing? So I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> there's this guy uh, Christian Petroni who's making uh, uh, chocolate salami, and my favorite part is uh, which he you know, includes in his little TikTok here um, as he's kind of just going through the steps. I think maybe that's what I, why I thought no bake too, is when he was putting it together, I was like, Oh, this looks a lot like um, no bake or puppy chow. I said to make yeah, a puppy yeah. chow log, but um, he wraps, he pours it onto uh, cellophane and he uh, um, curls it up and then he picks it up and he's kind of spinning it. Yep. And it breaks. Oh no. And he, it plops and he just stops. And then it cuts to him doing a new one, um, which yeah. is quite possibly the, the contents of the old one um, in just new uh, new plastic wrap. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. I, I And it's been around for a long, long time. So this isn't like yeah. a, a part of the kitschy uh, uh, plant-based meat current no. iteration sort of anything either. It's It's been around longer than, you know, that idea. So yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely a joke, the headline. It's just so, rather off-putting. Yeah. To quote from the article, while chocolate salami is the dessert's Italian-American alias, this tubular treat has many names throughout the world. It's salame de chocolat in Portugal, sokshe in Estonia, chocolate kolbasa in Russia, and cookie chip chocolate on Reddit. Now, that's the part where it's like, okay, because Reddit is fucking terrible, and it's entirely toddlers, so of course you would make some sort of a stupid name for it. Yeah. 
Uh, again, I will likely make this. I sent this to a friend of mine and he was just like, he's just like, yeah, I make that stuff. It's great. Right. Like it was just one of those things where he was surprised. I didn't know about it. And we also (laughs) talked about this. This strikes me as being a real Christmassy kind of thing. Right. So you would ask because, um, later on, um, down the article quote, like real charcuterie, chocolate salami plays for a crowd. We like our sliced and served on a platter alongside plenty of Amaro and espresso. But if you wanted to build an entire dessert-focused, quote, charcuterie board, that'd be even better. And we talked about that. I would do that. I would do, like, let's say we travel this year for Christmas and I really want to fuck with my in-laws. <laughs> I would make this stuff. And I would, you know, and I would put in walnuts, almonds, hazelnuts, pecans, any of that kind of stuff raisins dried cranberries dried uh dates and figs and and cherries and i'm not saying i would do all of this but some some mixture of this pumpkin seeds sesame you know peanuts that kind of stuff and i would slice it and put it on a board with chocolate truffles little tiny like uh lemon curd tarts right you would want to do some some dried fruit some fresh fruit it could be a shitload of fun to put something like this together yeah and from a distance it would look like a salami and cheese board Right. Yeah. And I think what I said as well is that it, it it might stem, I don't know for certain, but um it might stem from the same sort of or at least the same part of the human brain that came up with the um when the Germans decided they were going to make ice cream that looked like spaghetti. Yeah. Or or yeah. whoever did that first. It's like, uh, okay, it's a dessert that looks like the savory portion of the dish. Was that like just to hide it from people that were coming around confiscating desserts? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, again, because of the amount of customizing you can do to this, it looks like a ton of fun. And it looks like the kind of thing my kids would like to be involved in. Like, if we did one, you had mentioned, uh, oh, so we got to bacon dust. Because I was oh, saying yeah. it could be, like, the way you would do chocolate truffles is you you roll them into a ball and then you roll them in something. Powdered sugar, cocoa powder, something like that. And we got around to, you thought... Could you run a tube of cooked bacon right down the middle of this thing? And I said, well, fuck yeah. But it would be tough to cut. And so if you did a crumbled bacon and put that in, that would be fun, a la that chocolate chip cookie I had. Or you cook bacon, I cook bacon, put it in my dehydrator after it's cooked, get it to where I can powder it, and then you roll the whole log in bacon dust. Yeah. That could be some shit right there. But you would have to very carefully figure out what else is in there because there are certain things you could put in there that wouldn't go with bacon. So you'd have to make sure that you were working the sweet savory thing to begin with, you know? Yeah. But chalk, chalk, uh, not just chalk, chocolate. I don't know why I couldn't say that. <laughs> um, chocolate does, I was not notoriously, but uh, toriously. <laughs> sure. Uh, goes well with chocolate. So. Yeah. And I mean, if you were to do white chocolate chips in there and have chocolate wrapped in bacon, essentially, with cashews. I'm trying to think of what dried fruit goes with bacon. Yeah. Figs. That's... Dried figs. Okay, yeah. Because I've had a fig bacon jam that was really, really good. Uh, I think that would be amazing. So, yes, this is something that I will likely be making at some point as we're, you know, it's it's not cold in Chicago yet, but it has definitely started to turn. I took down three of my tomato plants yesterday because they're just straggling along and they're trying real hard, but like it's kind of unfair to them. So I took those guys <laughs> down and um, actually one plant that I had discarded because I, you know, I did uh, five or six 
pots of, of the heirloom tomatoes that I got. And then I picked the strongest ones and I actually planted those and I threw the rest of them into the garden beds that we're going to use next year. Two of my Blue Beauty plants like have tomatoes on them now that came out of that pile. But it's almost fall here in Chicago and my brain has totally turned to fall. So I'm already thinking about like, what am I doing for Thanksgiving? What am I doing for Christmas? Yeah. You know, this is on that list. Even though today it's supposed to be like 75. I think it's a very, um, I think it's cool and it's a fun, at least for me, novelty. I know not for everyone since it's been around for 100 years. Um, so what my question is, and again, it's been around for 100 years, so I'm not questioning this because the guy did it in a little thing too. But the recipe does call for two egg yolks, but there's no cooking involved. Right. Um, what do the egg yolks do? Bind, just, probably. Just a binder. Got it. I bet bacon and cranberries okay. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. Those are the stray thoughts in my head. <laughs> yeah, so when you do egg yolks and melted chocolate and butter together, it's essentially a mousse at that point. Now, it you're right. It does not get cooked, so you have to be careful with that. But it's not that the danger is minimal, if those eggs already have salmonella in them, you're going to get it from this. Like, you're just going to get salmonella from this. However, the amount of eggs that already have salmonella in them is really, really low. So it's, the the danger is not in, we didn't cook these egg yolks, so we're going to get salmonella. It's, if these eggs already had salmonella, these two individual ones, we will definitely get it from this because we didn't cook them. But by and large, the chances are very low that these two egg yolks have salmonella in them. Yeah, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, and my understanding was, I don't, you can help me or tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, and and or the internet can tell me, um, that the majority of salmonella is is on the outside of eggs anyway. Like if you're yes. gonna, it's contact stuff. It's not uh, um, inside the egg. Right. That, and also, like, there's there are little cartons you can get, little pint cartons that are pasteurized egg yolks if you're really worried about it. Or if you're cooking for a population that has, like, a, that's immunocompromised or really young people or really old people, you know, the, the folks who, if they were to get something like salmonella, they would be in a really bad way. You can get pasteurized egg yolks. Consider each egg yolk to be about an ounce. And so you just, you know, get two ounces of that, four tablespoons of that, and you'll yeah. be good. Moral of the story is do what you got to do to make your chocolate salami. <laughs> that and like how many of us ate raw cookie dough when we were kids in the 80s, totally unsupervised. And how many of us got salmonella? How many people do you know, Steve, in your entire life who've ever gotten salmonella? The, the, as far as I know, none. Me too. Now, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's, it's honestly fairly rare. But when you get it, it's really bad, you know. In fact, do you want to end on salmonella? We just sort of naturally transition to that. Oh, yeah, sure. So this is one of these things that, like I said, salmonella is no fun, but it's very, very rare. However, you only ever hear about it when it's not rare, right? So this is my neck of the woods. This is from two days ago. Dozens more. This is, again, from... Food, safety news, breaking news for everyone's consumption. One of these days, they're going to call me up and be like, do you want to just write for us? You plug <laughs> us a lot. Dozens more sick in salmonella outbreak linked to Chicago Taqueria. So this is an article that I got from Food Safety News, but it was also sent to me via a different media outlet by a friend of mine. 
quote, at least 55 people are sick with salmonella infections after eating food from a Chicago taqueria. Initial reports said 20 people were sick with 10 people people hospitalized. So this was in uh, Andersonville, which is uh, north of the city itself. It's still within Chicago, but it's north of the north of downtown. And this place is called Carniceria Guanajuato. And they voluntarily closed on the 8th. So the operator is cooperating with health officials to find the source of the salmonella. What this place is, is it's one of these, and it's, I love these places so much. It is a bodega where you walk in fairly narrow. You've got maybe three aisles of grocery kind of stuff. Traditionally very Latino grocery kind of stuff. And in the back, there's a meat counter and a taqueria. And that's where you get without question, the best fucking tacos in Chicago is that kind of a place, right? Now, for whatever reason, this particular one has had an outbreak of salmonella. Salmonella, again, traditionally eggs and poultry. However, like we've talked about with uh, Chipotle, if your eggs or your poultry drips onto something else, then that becomes the source. Yeah. You know. And at, at time of publishing, they still didn't know that this is interesting. It says the strain of salmonella involved is particularly virul- virulent. Yep. Say that for me. I always say virulent, That's but it. I don't. I could be wrong. Virulent, or the contaminated foods had a large amount of pathogen because the, of the high hospitalization rate. Yeah. So, so um, quote quote from Chicago Health Department: If you have purchased prepared food from the taqueria or the prepared food section of the grocery store since August 29th, discard discard it and do not eat it. That's like a almost a month ago. Were yeah. people eating month old tacos? Well, so that kind of place will also have like one cooler that's got tubs of like a um, nopal salad and uh, salsas and yeah, stuff to gotcha. put on your tacos and, and things like that that they make in-house. All it takes is one bit of salmonella-containing chicken juice to drip into uh, a case of tomatoes. And then when you dice all those tomatoes up to make salsa and you put them into, like say, 8-ounce uh, deli containers, all of them have it, right? And yeah. so... You send that out, like a case of tomatoes, a 40-pound case of tomatoes is going to make of those delis probably with your onions and other things that are going into your salsa. You're going to get 60 of those out of a case. And how many people are going to eat out of each one of those? You're right, going to take right. that home and you're going to feed it to all four of your family members, right? Yeah. Like that's how outbreaks happen. Yep. And – yes is it as simple as every time you're going to cut a tomato you wash the tomato first yeah is everybody doing that no and it's not i want to make this very clear ladies and gentlemen this is not a takedown of taquerias in chicago right right. this could have been anybody this could have been anybody anywhere this happens to be a taqueria in andersonville uh bodega i want to say it's a bodega it's a it's a very interesting style of store and there are a couple there's there's one in the old neighborhood I used to go to, and I don't go there anymore, and it bums me out. <laughs> we just don't live over that way. And there's nothing quite like that in the new neighborhood. But I like those places. Yeah. Yeah, and like you just said, currently there's not a ton of information. The um, operator is cooperating with the health department. They voluntarily closed. Although because it is also like a grocery store kind of place, I wonder if they closed closed or if they just shut down their fresh food portion. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's gotta. I mean, that's gotta be a bummer too, right? Speaking of things that are, uh, I mean, uh, possibly um, uh, within your control, but not, but not necessarily. Like it, this isn't gross negligence per se. Um, it, oh, it somebody could, fucked up, but it's probably not gross negligence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a mistake. Mistakes were made, <laughs> but that but it wasn't the, like it was, you know, uh, endemic or anything. Washing your produce is really important because also before it gets to you, you're not growing it. So before it gets to you, you also don't know what's been dripped on it, right? right. So that's one of the things that we train uh, uh, my staff on is if you are going to peel a cantaloupe to cut to serve fresh, you wash the outside of it first, which feels weird because you're not serving the outside of it. But the minute your knife goes through the outside, whatever is outside gets transferred inside via that blade of that knife. And so you wash the outside of that in preparation for, right? Same yeah. thing with our eggs. We, When we get eggs from our chickens, we wash the outside of them because that shit just came out of a chicken's asshole, essentially, <laughs> right? And yeah. so you want to wash the outside of it if for no other reason than – you don't want that on your hands, whatever that might be. And it might be nothing, right? But the same thing, I'm presuming, and I'm, I'm not a health department official. I'm just a guy who makes food a lot. I'm presuming this outbreak did not come from poorly cooked chicken, which is what you hear. Like, where does salmonella come from? Undercooked chicken. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't feel right. Because for this to be an outbreak, these have to be unrelated people. And if you're going to a taqueria, you've all seen this, ladies and gentlemen. They're throwing that meat onto a flat top. That shit is cooked, right? Where you get an outbreak like this is you get something that was dripped on something that's not going to be cooked before it's served, and that thing gets mixed with a lot of other things, and then it goes to everybody. This It could be a Chipotle thing. It could be the lettuce. It could be tomatoes that went into salsa. It could be tomatillos that went into salsa, although those, those generally get cooked first, so I don't know. Yeah. Red onions. Are, 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 are the white onions that go into every fucking taco in a taqueria, if... One of those onions had salmonella bearing chicken juice dripped on it, and it got mixed with all the other onions. Guess what? All the other onions have that now. Yeah. Yep. Simple as that. Or I don't want to make accusations like this. This also could be, oh, God, this would be awful. This would require a shutdown. If this is what they found out. If somebody cut a bunch of chicken on a cutting board and then cut oh. a bunch of other stuff. That would be that would be like burn the joint to the ground, <laughs> you know, because I, I can see it in my head and it is so gross. Could you imagine you get a case of chicken and it's got salmonella? You don't know because it doesn't show. It doesn't like it turns the chicken green or something. Somebody cuts all that chicken up and then immediately slides over a 50 pound bag of white onions and just starts dicing those onions up and they Ugh. all get inoculated with that chicken juice or lettuce or tomatoes or cilantro or whatever. Any of those things that don't get cooked all of a sudden. Yeah. You got people in the hospital now because of yeah. that. Yep. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that that's the scariest option because then that's a training issue. That is a huge training issue, training and management. Yeah. And, and that's not a board you can just flip and, and cut something else on either. Uh, no. No. You got to start over. Also, knife. Also, yeah. uh, towel. Like the whole deal. That that gives me the heebies and the jeebies. <laughs> I make my staff change their cutting boards we don't do a lot of raw protein anywhere near where we're going to be doing ready to serve stuff. Cause like our salad bar and our sandwiches and our like, uh, action station kind of stuff. That's a different portion of the kitchen where that's done. Right. Like my, my gal who cuts the lettuce and cuts all the fruit and cuts all the toppings for the salads. She's not cutting chicken. 
so that happens in a different part of the the world but i mean because we have plenty of staff we're putting shit through the dishwasher all the time like we have no reason not to yeah as much as i complain about it for what we do the kitchen is a pretty good size and we have plenty of equipment maybe they have only one cutting board i don't know it feels like if that was the problem that had happened either the employee is brand new or this is the first time they've been caught because that doesn't sound like something that only happens once yeah right yeah and again not a takedown of this place just as a manager i'm trying to figure out if there was a salmonella outbreak in my shop where it would have come from yeah and and the places that you'd look right where are you looking to try to figure out where this is coming from and these are some of the places that you could uh i generally am not a proponent of uh cameras and kitchens but that might not be the worst idea (laughs) because you could you could figure it out pretty quickly if somebody sort of like scrapes chicken off of a cutting board and then immediately starts uh peeling onions yeah you would know at that point. You'd be like, oh, there there it is. I can see it. There's yeah. the sound. <laughs> Yikes. All right. So at the end here, I don't know why I didn't put this in the beginning. I did save the audio from the previous uh, recording, and I will have, like, I will have stitched some of it in. So if you hear or have heard throughout this episode some sort of odd cuts, it's because of that. Like, I, I Steve and I really did say some stuff in the first episode that is worth saving. So you'll hear... A couple of weird things, uh, but if you have anything you want to add to any of these discussions, right? If you are a huge proponent of fine dining, if you love your tipped wage, uh, if you've given salmonella to 55 people, <laughs> please let us know. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve and Pants run a website for us. <laughs> in the weeds WBR.com. Pants is Steve's dog, if you don't know that. Yes. Uh, and there's also merch on there if you wanted to dress like a couple of very early 40s guys, because still, I think we're the only ones who have ever purchased anything from our <laughs> website. Steve, we need sticker packs. I love stickers. I think everybody loves stickers. That's a thing we need to start working on. Sure. Uh, and I, by we, I think I mean you, because that's <laughs> not, <laughs> I'm terrible at that stuff. Uh, but I think we can hold off on the other stuff that we were going to talk about until next week yeah anything else uh from you steve no i don't think so all right also we are still looking for ladies and gentlemen festivals um it, food museums little individual fun things that uh, are near you that yeah. steve and i could get to so let's say <laughs> let's say three hour radius from chicago or, or southwest I mean, michigan get, uh, give us some ambitions, uh, you know, some some goals, some life goals. If you if you know of something interesting, like we are assuming there's a spam museum in, in Hawaii as well as whatever, right? Uh, or that should be in Hawaii, it, it, although it isn't. Uh, so whatever. I mean, if they're pineapple museum, maybe in Hawaii. It, there you like, go. Give us a reason to get to wherever these places are. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Sell us on the long drive or flight to yeah. a place. Because when we went to the Mustard Museum, that was sort of at the edge of like. How far do I want to drive for something that could be terrible and dumb? <laughs> it was not terrible and dumb, but really that was like two and a half hours. That's a long way to drive to get disappointed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. And which we were not. So, yeah. All right, Steve. I think that's all I've got today. Did again. <laughs> for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. What needs to happen in this country 
And again, economy is money moving around. What we have in this country right now is tax law is written in a certain way and capital gains tax law is written in a certain way and offshore accounting is not regulated and there is just a general lack of regulation in business where there is a very small population of people in the United States of America who are concentrating their wealth. The economy, remember, is money moving around. It's money being exchanged for goods and services. So if people are just having it, that's not the economy. That is people hoarding. And it's pathological. It's weird. And I would say mathematically, above a certain amount of wealth, the number stops mattering, right? Like, let's say you have $500 million. There's nothing that a human being needs or wants that having $501 billion, million dollars, would change that, right? And then we've got people in this country who have billions and trillions of dollars. And then we have people in this country who are making $9.48 an hour who cannot live. So the difference in how much money you have when you reach $500 million, if you go to $501 million, that difference doesn't really matter. It doesn't really mean anything. But if you go from $9.48 an hour to $15.50, that really does mean something. So unfortunately, what needs to happen is the money that is at the top, that is being hoarded by this very small number of people, we kind of have to poke that balloon and that money has to come back out into the economy because that's, that's where it is. That's why wages have stagnated. It's not that the money doesn't exist. It's that it's not part of the economic ecosystem. It's not around anymore. Like imagine your plants are all dying because you're not watering them, but you have a big barrel of water and you're just holding on to it. The water's not doing any good. If you're somebody who just has a barrel of water, but all your plants are dying, that's that's not healthy, right? The economy is not healthy as long as the money's not moving around. So unfortunately, what needs to happen is, yes, prices need to go up. The people at the very, very top who have all that money need to return a bunch of it to the economy in the form of taxes, increased wages, and then that that's how you get a healthy economy. And it, it's entirely regulation, it's entirely political will, and it's entirely uh, taxation. Fucking Reagan dropped the, the top tax rate from 70% to 26%, and this country has been suffering ever since then. And that was in the fucking 80s, right? That was easily 20 years ago.